like to invite uh, my new friend, uh, Kevin Butcher, if you would come on forward. Uh, would you please uh, welcome Kevin? He is our guest speaker today. Uh, Kevin and his wife, Carla, were with, were with us yesterday at the uh, marriage retreat, the big, awesome marriage retreat, the BAM, BAM retreat, and I uh, had a great day uh, yesterday. Uh, Kevin and Carla are our old friends of, of Brian and Shane Berkey, and so that was the connection that was made, and uh, Kevin and I found out that we've had some, a lot of things that are really similar between the two of us, um, and it, uh, he is a Detroit Tigers fan, so he, we know he's patient and long-suffering. <laughs> And uh, Kevin also used to be uh, a pastor of an Ebenezer Baptist church. That was the church that I was, a different Ebenezer Baptist, obviously. And then also the church that they are in now, he's, he's a pastor in Detroit, um, used to be an old Methodist Episcopal church. <laughs> and uh, so this is, uh, so there's some similarities here. But um, yesterday, if you were at the retreat, uh, you know that God has given Kevin a very clear vision of the love that God has for us. And that our walk with Christ, that our experience of healing through Christ, uh, doesn't come from us trying harder, but it comes from us coming to know the deep love of Christ. And that through coming to know that and experience that, that we are changed. And we experienced that yesterday as, as Kevin called us and challenged us in our own marriages to uh, look at our own stuff, look at our own junk first in our hearts as a, a place for us to experience and healing in our relationship with our spouses. And uh, we trust that Kevin has a great word for us from God today, reminding us of the love of God. And so, Kevin, can I pray for you and as you lead us? So. God, we thank you for uh, our brother Kevin and for Carla and for their ministry to us this weekend. And Father, I pray now that you would speak your word to us through our brother. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. I'm uh, truly honored to be in your presence. And of course, I guess that's the kind of thing that speakers are supposed to say. And so I'll leave it up to your discernment whether you think I'm telling the truth or not. But um, I have really, really appreciated your community. Uh, from yesterday, um, being with several of your couples, uh, maybe 12, 13 couples, um, young as well as older, and um, getting to know your pastor and his wife just a bit. I love his heart. I wish you could have seen him the way I was seeing him as I looked at his eyes, even as he's talking about the love of God, the glistening, the tears, soft, tender, um, which isn't always true of shepherds in the body of Christ. And then this morning, um, I got to meet several of you folks in the booth and behind the scenes and little cubby holes where there's um, computer monitors and, and uh, there's a whole other world back here that I... I didn't know about until I got to walk there. And um, I got to pray with some of your elders. I got to pray with Bill, who had this amazing suit on. And then I looked down while we were praying, and he had no, he had no shoes on. And <laughs> I thought, all right, I, that, I'm feeling Bill here. He's, he's just a relaxed brother and uh, loved it, just loved it. Loved your prayer as well, my friend. And then got to meet Matt and then got to meet uh, little Owen. And I'd met Owen just a moment before. He was in his pajamas, 
And I thought, well, maybe, maybe the young man got up late, you know, but we're still going to church, son, that kind of a thing. But he goes, no, this is pajama day, you know, at, at Broadway. And so I asked him if I could come. And he was like, you bet, you know, even though I didn't have any pajamas. And uh, so I felt very welcomed. And then we prayed. We got to the end of the prayer. The grown-ups had prayed. And little Owen said, what about me? And, uh, and then little Owen, you know, um, said a prayer as well. And so, uh, and then, and then, you know, your young people are up here rocking it out in the name of Jesus Christ. By the way, I mean, I, I travel a lot and have seen a lot, and those young people have it going on, wouldn't you say? My gosh, yeah. Very passionate, very gifted. Um, Notice that we had a young soprano here, and then we shifted keys, and we had a young alto here, and both of them just with pure, clear, clean voices, and obviously singing from their hearts, backed up by all these amazing musicians. I got to say, and I'm wondering what my wife is thinking even now as I share these words, if, if she would agree, in all the churches I've been to, uh, literally all over the country and the world, this morning and yesterday and just what I'm experiencing, this reminds me most of Hope Community Church in Detroit where I've pastored for the last 16 years. So indeed, when I say I'm honored to be here, uh, please take that from my heart. It's, it's, uh, it's a privilege. Yeah, you can clap for yourselves. Yeah, please. <laughs> so um, we're hopeful that I can make this thing work. Um, I'm absolutely technologically challenged, but I've been assured by Ryan that I can do this. Um, I'm not talking about the sermon. I'm talking about the tech um, stuff. What I'd like to talk to you about this morning, and I don't know if you want to look at the text on your phone, if you want to take a copy of your Bible and open it up to John chapter 13. If you want to just look at the words that will be on the screen, it's up to you. But I want to draw you uh, your attention to some of uh, the last words that Jesus spoke to his followers the night before he was crucified. And as you know, the last words that someone speaks are usually most often some of the most important libraries are filled with volumes of the last words of famous people because the last words are usually words where someone is trying to uh, quantify their lives and maybe say something that would uh, say to the people that were surrounding them while they were passing from this life this is what life means this is what you need to know and so this was the last night uh, that Jesus was on the planet and just a few chapters after he gave this a talk we affectionately know as the Upper Room Discourse from John 13 through John 17. Um, he would go out into the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where he'd be, be betrayed by Judas, who at this point in the text had already left to do his deed. And, um, and then he would be uh, uh, surrounded by soldiers and taken off to be tried. And the next morning, uh, he would be put on a Roman cross. And so he's speaking to the 11 remaining of his followers, and he is... Uh, saying to them basically this in context, I'm leaving, you're staying. You can't go where I'm going. You're going to stick around. And if I'm going to have any presence on the planet, it's going to be through you. And so here's what you must know. These are my 
last words. In fact, these words you could say encapsulate really the next four, cha three chapters of text. There's a, if there's, a, if there's a, a bottom line statement that Jesus makes that encapsulates that entire upper room discourse, this would, these, this would be the phrase. This would be the words. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He wasn't yet talking about loving those outside the community of Jesus, but he's saying, we've got to start here. <laughs> if we want those folks to believe that love is genuine, we have to start right here. Peter, James, John, Andrew. And that you would love one another as I have loved you. Hold on to that statement. We'll come back to it in just a moment. Because by this, everyone will know. They may not all believe, but they'll know that you are my followers. They'll know what I'm about if you will have love for one another. If you Google um, evangelism, <clears throat> which is a fancy code word for just sharing Jesus and his good news to the world, the broken world that we see around us. You'll come up with, with thousands of websites about how to show people that Jesus is Lord and that he loves them and that he's here to heal the brokenness. But honestly, I'm not sure we need all those websites. I think we need to pay attention to what Jesus said. This is his evangelism strategy. That if we would love one another, if black folks and white folks and Latino folks and Asian folks and older folks and younger folks, people from the suburbs, people from the hood, if we would just see that in Jesus we are one and that, yeah, there are some differences, some wonderful differences that make the body of Christ the least boring place on the planet. But that there's something underneath our ethnicity or our gender or our backgrounds. There's something underneath that unifies us. There's something underneath those things that divide us, whether we're Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians or Green Party folk. There's something underneath that unifies us, that that heals the wounds that have divided us over all these years and celebrates the differences while we have a unity that is the intent of God's heart. Um, and it's, it's this thing called love. Now, you know, there are many Greek words for love. There's eros, there's storge. We know what eros means, but storge is a word that talks about love like for an old shirt, a shirt that you have had in your closet for the last 25 years, and you go, I need to throw that shirt away. I haven't put it on for 25 years, but I just can't because I have storge for that shirt. And then there's the word phileo, from which we get our city, Philadelphia. It means to have brotherly love. It's a give-and-take love. It's I take you to the Tiger game, and you buy the hot dogs. I buy the tickets, you buy the hot dogs. It's give-and-take. Nothing wrong with that kind of love. Deep friendships are built on that kind of love. But those are not the words that Jesus uses here. He says the kind of love that will show the world that you have something to offer them is this word agape. It means to make a decision to act sacrificially in behalf of someone else, whether they deserve it or not. To make a decision, it's always about a choice to act talk is cheap when it comes to agape. Sacrificially, agape will always cost you. Phileo may not, because I give to you, you give back to me. But agape is not about what you get back, it's about what you give. 
because you're full from the love that God, the agape that God has given us. And so it's a decision we make to act sacrificially in behalf of another. It's not about us. Sometimes I think when the African-American church and the Caucasian church stands before the Lord and, we, and, and he says, did you remember my last words? Yeah, but Lord, the music. <laughs> we had different music because we make it all about us, you know. Um, but agape is never about us. It's about what's good for the other. And then whether they deserve it or not. Agape kicks in where phileo leaves off. Phileo means you kind of deserve it. You've done for me, and so I'm going to do for you. That's just the way phileo works. But agape is when you stop doing for me. In fact, you're doing this to me. And yet I continue to wash your feet. That's the kind of love that's being talked about here. That's the kind of love that the world, the broken world, is waiting to see. They are so tired of our pontificating and our posturing. They're so tired of associating us with some political agenda, whether it's from the left or the right. They're so tired of hearing us trying to talk to them about heaven when, when they're experiencing hell on earth. And they have, by the way, the same brokenness that we have. I'm, I often think of, uh, of the famous song written in 1966 by the Beatles, Eleanor Rigby, and that that line, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Sometimes we can see non-believers, can't we? And they just look, they, they look angry, they look frustrated, and so we kind of are like, you know, they're not safe, but really they're lonely. They're looking for the healing of relational wounds. Those are the deepest wounds. You know, if you, if you lose a job, you can get another job. Most of the time, if, if you don't have enough to eat, there's usually someone around who will benevolently say, I have too much, here's some for you. But when, you, when a relationship is broken, when you lose a husband or a wife through divorce or death or some other type of estrangement, when there's a son or a daughter that you've lost somehow, either physically or maybe they just don't get along with you very well anymore or... Even when it's just a neighbor that you can't seem to connect with because they keep driving their car on your lawn and leaving that tire rut and you've told them. There's something about relational division that breaks our hearts and that's where the world is most deeply broken today. It's around relationships. And they're looking to see if there's any word, anywhere in the world that can show them that there's healing for that kind of brokenness. They're intended to look at the body of Christ and see all of these different kinds of people coming together and saying, there might be, we haven't spoken a word. They've just seen the love that Jesus said would draw them to himself. I got to tell you, I really think, I mean, I, I know I look really young and, and kind of like muscular, but... Um, <laughs> I've, I've been on the planet for a minute, and I've been around. I've seen a lot of changes in the body of Christ over the years. I really think we're starting to get this. I think, I, I feel it here at Broadway for sure, that um, it's not about, you know, special strategies. It's okay to have strategies as long as the, the love is at the heart of that strategy. Um, I think the body of Christ is starting to get that. 
I think we're starting to get what Philip Yancey discovered one time when he was having a, a discussion with a Hindu scholar. And the Hindu scholar said, we can work any miracle in Christianity except for one. And Yancey said, you mean the resurrection, right? We're the only ones that do that. He goes, no, we do that in Hindu history. We have resurrection stories. If you read the Vedic literatures, you'll see them there. He says, there's only one thing we can't reproduce that you claim to have, and that is that Galatians 3 thing where Paul says, your, your Christ follower says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, but everyone is one in Christ. He said, this is from a Hindu scholar. Now, don't, don't miss these words. I think we're starting to get them, but, but if not, maybe this will take us to a deeper place this morning. He said, the Hindu scholar said, in Hinduism, where we're divided into 5,000 castes, if we ever saw that kind of unity... We would know that the true God was in the house. I think we're starting to get that. This is what I think we're still wrestling with. This phrase that I underlined just a moment ago, the phrase that says, as I have loved you. Because it's true, isn't it? We can't give away what we're not receiving. And so if we're going to love, Jesus says we can only love as we experience love. So if I asked you this morning, do you know that you know that you know, not just here, but here, that the God of the universe loves you? Yes. Thank you, sister. Thank you. You're sitting next to another sister, my best friend, who knows that love too. Thank you very much. Some folks, when we ask a question like that, will say, well, the Bible says, I didn't ask you what the Bible said. I asked you whether you experienced what the Bible says. So if I said to my daughter, Andrea, who's 34 years old, I have three daughters, 34, 31, and uh, 28. My middle daughter's a therapist, by the way. If you have a child who's a therapist, you're going to need a therapist. I'm just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> they just, they get that degree and they start looking at you a lot differently. You know, you say something, they kind of cock their head, you know, like, like they see something that, you know, that, that you don't see. Man, I love her though. Man, do I love that, that, that young lady. But in any case, if I ask my, my oldest daughter, um, do you know that I love you? And she said, of course. And I said, how do you know? Well, when I was seven years old, Dad, you, um, you were on a, a preaching trip or a business trip or something, but you sent me a birthday card that said at the bottom, uh, I love you, Daddy. And so when I'm not sure you love me, I just take that card out and I just read the words. Nothing else, sweetheart? No, Dad, that's pretty much it. You wrote it in a card. <laughs> then I would know, wouldn't we, Mom and Dad? We would know there's something not, that hasn't happened there, that, that that card is not enough to sustain the relationship between this dad and that, and that grown-up little girl. And yet somehow that's the way we, we seem to treat the Bible, that if we just have Bible verses, that, that it's enough, that every other relationship that we have, we must experience love. Can you imagine today if... We just did a marriage retreat. I mean, if I said to Carla, um, Carla, you're in my calendar for the month of May. I've been very disciplined about it. And uh, I've been very organized. 
and uh, we have two dates scheduled. And uh, it's going to be all good. Can you imagine her saying, yeah, okay, good, thanks, thanks for doing that. But do you feel anything with me? Because I don't really care if I'm on your calendar, if there's nothing of passion. Every other relationship, we want to experience love. And we kind of think somehow that with our relationship with God, that maybe we don't need to experience that love. That love too, my brothers and sisters, above all loves, is meant to be experienced. When he says, as I've loved you, he wasn't saying, as you read it in the Bible, but as I communicate my love to you in the deepest places of your heart. A little of my story, I trusted Christ when I was five years old. I was sitting in the back of this church in northern Indiana, Valparaiso actually, and I suspect that a normal child would have been ripping pages out of the hymn book, but I was actually listening <laughs> to the brother who was standing up there talking about the love of Jesus who died uh, for me, and I believed. My dad uh, checked it out later with me and made me kneel and pray at a piano bench and say all the right words, but can I tell you, I was already a child of God by that time. My heart had just went like that. I heard the words that were truth, and I went like that. I just believed. Um, but then started a long, uh, slow descent into not really experiencing that love. I, I was raised in a, a very dysfunctional Christian family. How many of you know that you can really be strong in your Bible-believing faith and be incredibly dysfunctional in the way you work out family life? And so um, I did the best I could. I learned to perform for love. And, uh, and so I performed the heck out of it, uh, Christianity. And I became the president of the youth group and went to a Christian university, played football in this football team. We went around and shared our faith in college and then went to Dallas Theological Seminary. And by the time I got done, I had five and a half years of Greek, two years of Hebrew, three years of Latin, all intended to somehow get this Bible somewhere into me so that I could experience its truth. But I didn't know that he loved me. I knew he loved you, but I didn't know that he loved me. After that five-year-old experience where I knew for a minute that he did, I never did again. And there were signs of it. There were signs of it over the years. I mean, when I first got married, I remember having this rage moment with my wife where I put my hands on her inappropriately, thank God, only one time. I'm ashamed even to say it to you today that I did it, and I did. And by the grace of God, I owned my stuff. And the next day, two days later, I was in a therapist's office. I, I, the day before, I'd gotten prayed over by our elders. And I knew something was empty inside, but I didn't know what it was. And then I can remember having kids uh, on my journey to try to heal whatever it was that was there that I didn't even know what it was. And I remember sitting and watching um, Mr. Rogers. Um, they're coming out with a new documentary about him, by the way, um, starring Tom Hanks as... Fred Rogers himself, can't wait, can't wait. And he would sing this song. I would be sitting in this chair, this uh, lazy boy chair that we eventually had to throw away, not because it was worn out, but because of all the things that were stuffed down in the chair that came from those moments when my kids and I were sitting there and they were like, like um, Fruit Loops and raisins and other things that I don't even know what they were and eventually we just had to throw it away because it was unsanitary. <laughs> Loved that chair and we'd sit there and my three girls were literally draped all over me and we'd be watching Mr. Rogers and he would sing this song. It's you I like, not the things you wear. 
It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way deep down inside you. Not the things that hide you. Not your diplomas, they're just beside you. It's you I like, every part of you. And I was sitting there as a grown man, ex-college football player, macho, whatever, and the tears would run down my face. You know how little kids are when they see their mom and dad cry, they're like, is that a tear? And they would literally, they'd be, they'd be all, their fingers up in my eyes. And they would say, Daddy, why are you crying? And honest to goodness, my brothers and sisters, I did not know. I'd say, I don't know, honey, but watch the show. <laughs> but I know now, I wanted somebody to talk to me like Fred Rogers was sharing with me through the, through the television screen. And finally, it all came to a head in 1990 at the age of 36 when I was very, very successful in what I did. I was a good communicator, apparently, and pastoring a church successfully, like, like your Pastor Ryan. And one night, uh, coming back from another speaking engagement where everybody went, yippee I um, came with an Anat's eyelash of taking my own life um, at Allard in 94 on the east side of Detroit. It was like the enemy. It's like he snuck up on me. Didn't know I was suicidal. And it was like, end it. You can't live empty like this any longer. And it was like almost. I almost did it. But then my three daughters flashed. It had to be the Holy Spirit. Flashed those faces in front of my eyes. And I said, I'm not going to leave them with the legacy of a dad who preached all this stuff but didn't know how to live it, didn't know what it was. So I drove home and literally got in my face and said, God, I have everything, but I have nothing. What is it that I don't know? And shortly thereafter, through a series of circumstances I don't need to get into this morning, he began to show me that what I didn't know, what I wasn't experiencing, I knew it in my brain. I knew all the Greek words, but I didn't experience the love of God. And this is just the plain, flat truth, my brothers and sisters, at least as I under, as understand it. And if this isn't your truth, share it with me later. Maybe we can come to some better truth. But this is what I get at the age of 64. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 3. He prays that we might be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, that we might know that love that is wide and high and deep and long, so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. The opposite of fullness is emptiness. And if we're empty, we spend our entire lives looking for something to fill it. It can be really bad stuff, like in the neighborhood where I pastored crack cocaine and heroin and booze and illicit sexuality and violence. But it also can be something as appropriate and positive as trying to fill your life, fill that emptiness with your children. I mean, is the six clubs you have them in really about them or is it about you? And the emptiness that you feel. I think you get what I'm saying. A good thing can become a bad thing if we try to make it the main thing. And there's nothing that can fill us up. My brothers and sisters, there's nothing that can fill us up except the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord for us. One of my favorite authors, a Jesuit um, priest named Anthony DeMello says, Your life begins... Not when you begin to know that you love God, but when you begin to understand that he loves you. So just to turn the corner here, I, I don't even know what I love about your pastor. He didn't even tell me how long I had to preach. <laughs> and I mean, in these days, in, in this era of church, you, you come in and they go, you have 23 minutes and 12 seconds. 
And if you go over, there's a trap door and you're gone. So just know that. So your pastor, Brian, you didn't tell me, so it is what it is, bro. <laughs> um, all right. Some of you might be saying, all right, but I don't, I don't think that person is me. And by the way, this isn't an either or. It's like percentages, if you know what I'm saying. You know, you might say, I, I know a little of the experience of the love of God, but there's something that, so can I just say, listen carefully. Let me give you what I believe are some symptoms of, of the, the emptiness that we carry around with us. We're trying to love others, but we don't know the love ourselves. And you say, where did you get this list? Not out of a book. Every one of these things comes out of my own life. So, for example, here's one. What if this morning you, you don't know who you are or secretly you hate who you are. In other words, you struggle with identity. You get in a room and you find yourself, if you're honest, becoming a chameleon. Like, I want, I'm going to be like the people that I'm with because I want them somehow to approve of me and affirm me. Because you're not really sure who you are. Because you struggle to hear that voice of the Father saying, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, and whom I'm... Maybe, maybe there are even some self-haters in the room today. I was a self-hater. I had all these reasons not to hate myself. But I, here I am, a pastor, graduate of seminary and all that stuff, beautiful family, and I hated myself. It's kind of hard to admit that, isn't it? You've got a cool parking lot, by the way, out here. Um, I, I hope you, they don't charge because I didn't find any place to pay, so I'm, I'm hoping it's cool. But it's a pretty cool parking lot. And so let's say one Sunday morning you're coming in from the parking lot and you say, you know, someone comes up to you and says, hey, John, how you doing this morning? And uh, Johnny says, what if you say, uh, doing well, hate myself, but otherwise I'm fine. <laughs> Where is there even space to own that reality? Because can I tell you, if God's goal is to help us experience his love because it fills us up and enables us to give to the broken world what he came to give. Because remember he said, he's leaving, we're staying. And the only way they get that is through us. If that's his main goal, can I tell you what the enemy's main goal is? To get you to not believe in that love and to do exactly the opposite, which is to hate yourself. Because then you can do church all you want, but you won't have any love to give. Here's another one. By the way, if that's you today, I just I wish I could pause the service and come down and just hug you and smother you with kisses and somehow communicate to you that you don't have to live that way anymore. Because he loves you so much. Yeah, talking about you. How about this one? Tormented by voices from our childhood. Because our childhood is where we're supposed to experience the love of God through mom and dad. But my brothers and sisters, what if mom and dad, who are just human beings, haven't experienced that love very much themselves? So they give us what they have. I, a few years ago, I got in touch with this book. Don't know how I got it, but it's called Love Letters, Responding to Children in Pain. And a group of Christian social workers got together and got connected. They, they put together this nonprofit, which I, it may be still going. I don't know. And kids, they would go do, I think, conferences, and then kids were allowed, if they had no one else to connect with, 
they were allowed to write these folks letters and they would get responses because these folks wanted to be the parents that they never had. So, for example, and, and some of these little vignettes I'm going to read to you right now, they might trigger something in you, my brother, my sister. This, this might be a voice from your childhood that is causing you to struggle to hear the voice of the Father saying, I love you so much. So here's one. Dear Heart to Heart, that was the name of the group. I'm so sad. My dad is an alcoholic. I love him so much. I get mad when he breaks promises. And maybe if I'd be really good, he would stop drinking. Please help me. Can you imagine how that guy might transfer that view to God? Maybe if I'd be really good, God would really love me. How about this one? My name is Darren. I'm in middle school. This is the worst year of my life. I hate school. My parents think I don't try, but I do. I started drinking, and it's the only time I feel okay. Dear heart to heart, why did God make a dumb person? P.S. I am the dumb person. Dear heart to heart, things are going awful. I have to go to the therapist, but it never helps me. I would like to have at least one friend of my own. My parents like my sister best. Dear heart to heart, I'm in the third grade. This is the second time because I failed last year and got kept back. It's embarrassing because my friends are in the fourth grade and everybody knows. Dear heart to heart, my dad calls me stupid Sam. He even says it in front of my friends and then he laughs. I told him it wasn't even funny, but he still does it. Please help me. Dear heart to heart, why did God make me like this? Do you see how difficult it might be to experience the love of God when those voices are sitting in our head, those unhealed traumatic moments in our past that long for the healing of Christ so that we can hear the voice of the Father calling us his beloved children? How about this one? Constantly looking for approval. I'm not talking about every one of us needing encouragement because we all need encouragement. I'm talking about what I've seen in our neighborhood so many times when people would mainline heroin. It's like we have to have a compliment because if we don't get one, we don't know how to tell ourselves or hear the voice of God saying, you're fine, son. You're good. He may not like you. She may not like you. You may feel like you failed over here, but I got to tell you, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're doing okay. You're doing just fine. You've got my DNA in you. How about this one? You find yourself being critical of others. Now, some of you are saying, doggone right, I'm critical, and I've got Bible verses to back me up. (laughs) When I see sin, I point it out. I have the gift of prophecy, whatever. I I understand all of those reasons we justify. What if, though, what if what's really going on is that we become critical of others, not constructively, lovingly critical, but just critical because inside we have our own inner critic. I know in my marriage the days when I am most struggling to receive and to experience the love of Christ are the days that that inner critic is barking so loudly 
that what Carla gets from me is criticism that's not about her. It's about what's going on inside of me. Some of us today have lies from the enemy inside our heads. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. Others are more important than I am. I'll never do anything right. I will always be afraid. I'm defined by my performance. I'm on the outside looking in. I don't really fit with anyone anywhere. And the big lie, of course, is I'm not loved. Why wouldn't we be critical of others when we're so internally critical of ourselves? But what if we began to hear the voice of Christ telling us, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I've always loved you just like I love you now. Can I tell you what those around you would get? And around me would get, even if they're spitting in our face, they would get the love that fills us with all the fullness of God. What about this one? There's only a couple more. There's really dozens more, but I only have time for these. We have difficulty in relationships, and we think if I could just find the right friend, maybe we're expecting our friends to be more for us than they could possibly be. Maybe our friends are intended to be the icing, but never the cake. Maybe we put pressure on our relationships to somehow fill us up in ways that, that destroy the relationship before it has a time to take off. What about this one? In America, we love this one. Never at peace, constantly driven. We are just going and blowing 70-hour weeks, making it happen. If you slow down, we'll get passed by. The man makes me do it. Maybe the man makes you do it, but maybe, my brothers and sisters, there's that thing inside you that you know, if I slow down, if I slow down, I have to deal with the uncomfortable sediment that comes up from inside my spirit and begins to bark at me. So by being active, I keep the voices and the pain at bay. We live our entire lives working this frantic pace, but never slow down enough to heal and experience and begin to give away love. Of course, the last one is a no-brainer, addictive tendencies. I've never met anyone addicted to anything, whether it's work or crack, that isn't trying to fill up inside something that that substance can never fill up. Only the love of Christ can fill it. My brothers and sisters, it's this emptiness that keeps us in abject misery And keeps the world, if I understand Jesus' words, from coming to Christ. Because we sit in our church buildings, two-thirds empty, looking for love in all the wrong places. While the world is waiting to see what would happen if we would heal enough to hear the voice of Christ calling us his beloved. Some of you might say... Well, I'm pretty functional. Agreed. You set your alarm today. You came to an urban church. You're sitting here. You're all looking pretty good, I think, actually. You're all really looking good. Well done. <coughs> My experience is Jesus did not die to make us functional. He died to set us free. So if we were doing a retreat and we had a morning session tomorrow morning, we could do that. You want to take a vote right now? We could do that. 
if you promise to come back. I would just end this talk right here, but before we um, go home, before we celebrate communion, and if you're new today and you're thinking, this is a pretty long sermon, it probably won't be this way next week, so just ride this one out, you'll be good. You'll be good. How do we heal? How unkind I would be if I didn't say anything about healing. First of all, I don't talk about being healed. I talk about living into the process of healing. I don't think we're healed until the other side. And I, I also, I hesitate to say number one, number two, number three, because I hate books that are like steps to, like if we just do these seven things, life will be perfect. Especially when you talk about your relationship with God. It's relational. It's not steps. So let me give you my first non-step step toward healing. <laughs> and these are all relational. I'm just, I can only touch on them. And I'm going to close with one illustration in a moment. I can only touch. What if you began by simply getting honest with yourself? Paul talks about stopping lying in the body. What if the first member of the body you stopped lying to was you? What if you said to yourself this morning simply, I've got some emptiness. And this brother is trying to quote Jesus telling me, I don't have to live that way anymore. And it's not only costing me, it's costing my family because they don't get the real me. They get the empty me and it's costing the kingdom of God because I don't have the love that I need to give. The radical love that's supposed to show the world who Christ is. What if, my brothers and sisters, we just took a baby step and God honest. Let the truth begin to make us free. My second non-step step. It's relational. It's a path. It's, it's movement relationally. What if the second relationship was this relationship? What if we began to turn toward our God and, and, and for the first time maybe, maybe, maybe for some of us not, we called him what he invites us to call him. Abba. Paul says in Rome, remember Abba is the term that Jesus used in Mark chapter 14 when he was getting ready to go to the cross. And he was, he was petrified of that Roman cross. And he said to the father, Abba. If it please you, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, Abba, not my will, but yours be done. The word Abba is the Aramaic term that a little child would use when he first had language to talk to his daddy. He wouldn't, when he first saw his dad and realized he had words for his dad, he wouldn't say, Father, welcome home. He wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say, Dad. Can you imagine this little one-year-old? One day, the first word he ever says, he goes, Dad. It, it, he wouldn't even say daddy. He would say something like, would he not? Dada. That's Abba. An incredibly intimate term. And Paul says, it's our term, not just for the son of God, but for all of us as sons and daughters of God. He says, for you didn't receive when Jesus came the spirit of bondage again to fear. All these rules, all these lists. You received the Holy Spirit of adoption. He chose us out of a spiritual orphanage. He said, I want you. I want you 
I want you. Yeah, but my son Kevin, he's jacked up. I know all about my son Kevin. I choose Kevin to be my son. And now all he wants us to do is to call out, Abba, Father. My brothers and sisters, I don't know your journey. I can just tell you mine. And I can tell you that I had no idea this is the way God wanted me to address him. You know what I used to call him unconsciously? When I'd talk to him, I'd, I'd pretty much say, Coach God. Because what I thought is, what he wanted from me is just to increase my spiritual 40 time or decrease it. You know, I'm already running a 4-8. That's not really true. I never ran anything faster than a 5-1, but... I'm already running a five. What do you mean? No, son, you're doing good. I mean, he's a good coach, but he's always got something more. Lift more weights, train harder, eat better so you can perform more. No wonder we don't want to have our quiet time. When every time we go to the Word, it's something from the coach about what we're supposed to be doing that we're not quite getting done. Some of us think of him as our instructor our professor. More information. Good to talk to you, daughter. Um, have you read um, the book of Amos yet? Because that's your next assignment. Got more truth for you there. Lord, I just worked my way through Romans. I'm saturated. I, there's more. And I'm your professor, and I get to tell you what you need to read. Some of us just look at him as a spiritual cop. He's a good cop. I mean, someone has to keep us in line. Someone has to make sure we don't foul up. Someone has to keep an eye on us. And then if we need to get into spiritual timeout, someone has to put us there. My brothers and sisters, how have those views of God encouraged and increased your intimacy with him? What if today you could begin to look at him and say, Dada. And know that his arms were open wide for you and all of who you are. When my girls were little, I told the couples this yesterday, that therapist daughter of mine, she was petrified of ants. We thought maybe there's something wrong. Now we realize these were the early signs of sensitivity that would make her a great therapist someday. So whatever's going on with your kids, just be patient. She would see an ant come running to me, jump up into my arms. I'd grab her. I didn't make fun of her fear. I just received her pain because I'm her father. And she would cry it out on my chest and then get up, push away, and run back and play carefully going around the anthill. Where did she leave her tears? On her father's chest. This is the invitation for us to begin to say I'm empty but I've got an Abba that I can take my trauma and my pain and my emptiness and my addictions and my loneliness I can take it to him and begin to pour it out and he will I promise you he will begin to exchange ashes with his beauty because he's your father. He loves you so much. Last non-step step. What if 
I told you that much of the healing that we're looking for is right here in the body of Christ. Look at this passage. It's an astounding passage. Where Peter, who by the way, you know where Peter was in John 13? He was right there with Jesus when Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you and the world will know. This is Peter quoting Jesus, I believe, to the churches in Asia Minor. And he says, above all things, my brothers and sisters. And by the way, do you know what the Greek for above all things means? Above all things. Greek scholar over here. Oh, you heard me yesterday, you cheater. <laughs> he's not that smart. I mean, he's smart, but not that smart. <laughs> Tried to slip that in there. It means above all things. It means there's nothing more important. Nothing is more important than having fervent love for one another. Because remember, we are the body of Christ. We are Christ here with each other. And we get the living, can I say hell? Hell beat into us all week long by an enemy who hates us, who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. When we come here, yes, we need a word from a pastor like Ryan, who's a lover. But his words would not be healing to you if they didn't come from a loving heart. And yes, we need worship from those who are worshiping God because they know him as Abba. Those songs wouldn't mean anything to us really if they didn't come from that loving space. But we also need each other. We turn to each other and we're present and we take off our masks and we're there. And you know who else is there in that moment? Jesus who said in Matthew 18, when two or three are gathered in my name, remember what he said? I am there in their midst. And did you ever ask yourself, what's he doing there? Playing on his cell phone? Or is he doing what he came to do? I've come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. And so when I sit with my sister and we're just here, we're just here. I'm just here. In fact, I don't know you. What is your name? Kathy. Kathy. I'm Kevin. And as Kathy and Kevin, sister in Christ, brother in Christ, we just sit here with each other. And I tell her my realities and my truth and my pain and my joy and my hopes and my fears and my sorrows. And Kathy tells me hers. You know who is also here? Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, is here as well. And you know what? Kathy may not have many profound words for me, and I may not have many profound words for her. But can I tell you, the healing occurs just because we are loving one another because that love will heal a multitude of sins. I didn't say this. This doesn't come from Sigmund Freud. This came from a follower of Jesus, the healing Christ. So what I'd like to do, really what I'd like to do this morning, but I can't because there's no time. I'd like to pause time. And I'd like to come to each of you and just sit like Kathy and I had a moment and just say, would you bless me with your story? Just tell me your story. And I would like to be present to you. Hear your, your dreams, your joys, and your brokenness and somehow know that the Lord Christ is there. That's what I'd like to do. But I can't. But I'd like to leave you with an image and 
Matt, I see you standing back, you're sitting back there. Would you mind joining me for this last moment? Would, would you? I didn't ask your permission, but you're an elder, so I know you have to say yes. Um, <laughs> would you come and be here with me, please, just for a moment? And you're going to play the role of my son here in a moment, if you don't mind. How old are you, Matt? Sorry? 30, 33? I'm only 43, so I don't know if this is going to work, but... Um, <laughs> In the Jewish community, the beginning of Sabbath on Friday night, the father, and you can, you can Google this, it happens in Orthodox families um, every Friday night still at Sabbath, if they're following the dictates of the Old Testament, they, uh, the spirit of the Old Testament, they will sit with their children, the father will call his children to himself, and he will give them a blessing. Many times it's the number six blessing, you know, um, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you gracious to you, give you of his peace. But if you read the literature, many times fathers will go off script and they'll just bless their children as individuals before they give that final uh, biblical blessing. So for just a second here, um, I'm, Matt's going to play my son and I'm going to bless him as a father. This is what I want you to uh, think about while I'm doing this blessing because we're closing with this. Um, think about first of all, what if to, to the first Peter 4, 8 point, what if you had ever experienced this kind of blessing full of love one time in your entire life from anyone, let alone a parent, let alone every Friday night, the beginning of Shabbat? How would it have changed your ability to experience the love of a father who is also reaching out to you? How would it have healed you? Secondly, what if the Holy Spirit gave us courage to believe that the way I'm blessing Matt is simply a picture of the way our Abba is blessing us every moment of every day of our lives because he loves us so very much. I'm so glad to be with you this Sabbath, son, because it gives me another, yeah, it's structured, but you know my heart for you. It gives me another opportunity to tell you how much I love you. And I do love you, son, with all that is within me. I remember the day you were born. And you know what's really cool, Matt? The minute you got born, I was so amazingly proud of you. And you hadn't done one thing yet. Well, you made it down the birth canal, but I'm going to say that you... Didn't have a lot of choice, I think. Good work, though. Good work. Um, son, I hope you catch what I'm saying to you. You hadn't done a thing. And I was just proud of you. Not because of your doings, but just because you're my son. And this is what I want you to hear, young man, today. That's the way I feel about you today, 34 years later. I mean, when you were playing in the band... 
and you squeaked on your clarinet, you might have thought, gosh, I wonder what Dad's thinking. I can tell you what I was thinking. I, I just love that son of mine. And when you made it to first chair and you played the solo part in the concert, you might have thought, I wonder if Dad loved... No, I didn't love you more. I just still loved you, son. Because what you do doesn't change how I think about you at all. I just can't stop loving you because you're my boy. And I know out there, it's always love if or love because. It's not very kind. I know that, son. But I want you to know, as you go out and explore the world, at your age, you're out there doing that already. I want you to know that whether you become the next president of the United States or if, God forbid, you find yourself in prison, I will love you the same either way. I'll grieve for you in prison. I will rejoice at your success, but I will love you, Matt, just like I've always loved you from that moment when you were first born. And if you need me on the journey, son, you just turn around and look, and I'll promise you, I will be there. Whatever you go through, and I know you've been through a lot. I know you've been through a lot. Whatever you go through, know this. I'm your father. And I will be there. Loving you. So son, may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious unto you. And may the Lord give you of his deep and sweet and everlasting peace. Father, help us to take it in this morning, Abba. Help us to take it in. Each of us, from the most broken to those who feel like we already know all about this love, help us to take it in at a deeper place for our own healing and for the healing of our broken world. In Jesus' name, amen.